0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, UPC.org. There is a story I've heard ever since I was a child that's always fascinated me in the Bible. Many of you will have heard this story. For any of the men and women who were following Jesus in the story that we're looking at today from the Gospels, they would have heard this story. It's a central story in the Jewish faith. It's the story of the wilderness generation. Do you know this story? The wilderness generation was that first generation of Israel the fir- that had been rescued from slavery by God from Egypt. Do you remember like the crossing of the Red Sea? You got that story, right? All those... Do you? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm just going to preach this way because you will give me an answer. <laughs> <laughs> The, um, uh, I'm so lost now. (laughs) The wilderness generation, they're the ones that went through the crossing of the Red Sea. You know why they're called the wilderness generation? They never got out of the wilderness. They expected abundance. They expected freedom. They died in the land of limited resources. They died in the wilderness. They died in the land of limited resources. It's a tragic story, and part of the reason for this, a big part, is they only ever knew the language of the land of limited resources. The language of the land of limited resources is complaining. Grumbling is the language of the land of limited resources. They came out of Egypt on their way to cross the Jordan into the promised land they had to live hand to mouth in that land of limited resources. God would give them bread from heaven. Met their complaints with bread from heaven. when They called it manna. It was bread in the wilderness. But it was hand to mouth. Remember, it went away every night. They had to get it again the next day. It was an uncertain time, and they did what many of us do when resources are limited, when we're not sure how we're going to get through, when the overwhelming demands and sheer exhaustion of life take us over. They complained. And we complain. We grumble. We live in a land of limited resources, a life of limited resources. And I wonder where you found yourself complaining this week. Who or what has set you to complaining? Think about it. Money, time, space, capacity, What has brought you right to the limits of your personal resources? Technology? How many of you have yelled at your computer this week? Or the IT people? Politics? Car trouble? Traffic looking for parking? You know, that's chronic for me. Pricing, work demands? School administration? Budget allocation? Chronic illness? Fear and anxiety give voice to complaints and grumbling, and in the land of limited resources, grumbling is the native tongue. But something in our story today interrupts that. And that's what we want to look at. Today's story teaches us a new language. It teaches us the language of gratitude. Because gratitude is the language of God's unlimited grace. Gratitude is the language of God's unlimited grace. And that is not a natural language for us. So would you grab your pew Bibles, please, or any Bible you brought, turn to John chapter 6, please. You can find this in these black Bibles that are in the pews. You'll find it um, on page 867. John chapter 6, page 867. We're going to read from verses 1 through 14. From verses 1 through 14. So if you are able, would you please stand And we'll read read with me John chapter six, verses one through fourteen. Let's read the Lord's word together. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place. So they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer, I pray that the words of my mouth, that the meditations of our hearts, would be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So now imagine it's, it's hundreds of years after that wilderness generation. And imagine that you are one of Jesus' disciples. Here you are, you're in the hills on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, generations removed from Moses, uh, coming up on the Passover. So that wilderness generation's in mind. We're coming up on the Passover. And you're following this rabbi Jesus whose significant actions, whose signs and remarkable teaching are generating excitement throughout Galilee. Huge crowds, thousands showing up. Wondering if this is the prophet that Moses promised. The Messiah sent to deliver and to liberate. And here's Jesus. Jesus looks out over this sea of humanity and asks you a question that is not remotely spiritual. It's entirely practical. Imagine that you're Philip. Um, This is your neck of the woods. You're from Bethsaida. You're from this area. So Jesus asks you, where can we get the money to buy the bread to feed all these people? And as you look at at this crowd, you can feel it. You can feel that, like, flooded feeling you get when you don't have the resource for this. Half a year's wages would not be enough to give everyone even a, a little bit of bread. It's just the laws of the land of a limited resource. Now, I wonder if you can identify with Philip. How many things in your life are not a spiritual issue? They're just the way it is. It's just sheer economics. It's just limitations. It's just being human. This is where we live. There's no way we have the resources for this. And there's this awkward silence coming back from Jesus, like like this is some sort of a test. And while your answer was technically correct, faithfully it was a bust. (laughs) And imagine now that Andrew comes up right behind you. Now, Andrew is the best. Andrew Simon Peter's brother. He's the one, he's always there to back a brother up. He just is, right? And he steps into your dilemma to try and help out. You know, there's a little boy here. He's got five rolls and and two fish. It's a peasant's lunch. But Andrew's looking out at this same unending sea of people. And and actually, our gender neutral translation did not help us out here because they used to only count the men at the time. So there's 5,000 men. I mean, imagine Key Arena because there's probably fifteen to 20,000 once you throw women and children in there too. Same unending sea of people comes to the same conclusion that Philip comes to Really, though, once you factor everybody in, looking at the size of that crowd, how is this even helpful? Now, you sat next to Andrew in meetings, haven't you? Because he's a person who, once you know the problems on the table, starts out by saying, well, I guess we could take the money we've saved by having everyone buy their own K-cups and apply that to our $50 million deficit. (laughs) It's not nearly enough, but at least it's a start. Kudos to Andrew for speaking up, give him an A for effort, but really, we're not much further down the road than things with Philip. Philip takes in the enormity of the demand. Andrew takes in the severely limited resources at hand. And they both reach the exact same conclusion. There is no way this works. Now, at this point, what usually happens in the real world Not out in Galilee, right? I'm not saying that wasn't real. It was more real than real. We'll come back to it. But what usually happens, right? Doesn't the person who's in charge says, well, go figure it out, right? And then what do you and I do once we leave the room? What language do we start using? Come on, now you know what you do. We complain. Why is this even our problem? Why do we have to feed them lunch? They did not show up for lunch, right? Why is this my problem? Peter, Andrew, Nathaniel, they are all from Bethsaida as well. Why are you asking me to do this? We've taken in the size of the task, we've inventoried the resources at hand, and the grumbling starts. Who's the idiot that got us into this mess? In the land of limited resources, this is how the story is supposed to go down. The task is overwhelming, the resources are pathetic, we don't have the capacity for this, so what are we supposed to do? We all know this language. My word, how many times has a complete stranger spoken this language to you in the last week? Seems like every time I get in an elevator, someone's telling me a complaint. But on this day, around the hills, around the Sea of Galilee, something changes. On this day, someone interrupts the laws of the land of limited resources. Jesus disrupts the law of the land of limited resources with a demonstration of unlimited grace, with an infusion of unlimited grace. There is so much power in those five barley loaves and those two fish that they just don't stop. He sends the disciples, you'll notice, to seat the crowd. And in the process, when you read the story, that's when they get their hard head count, isn't it? It's huge. And then Jesus takes these limited resources at hand and gives thanks. He gives thanks. Listen to that sentence and remember this, because gratitude is the language of unlimited grace. And when he'd given thanks, he started handing out loaves, fish too, until the people were satisfied. We know all four of the gospel writers tell us this story. We know from all four of them that the disciples are helping to hand this out. It seems that John focuses on Jesus doing it himself because he wants there to be no mistake who the source of this unlimited abundance is. Because at the end of it all, once the disciples pick up the fragments of those five barley loaves, they fill 12 baskets. And whenever you hear 12 in the Gospels, you remember the 12 tribes of Israel, you remember those families in the wilderness. They were the ones who never moved beyond the borders, who never left the land of limited resources, who never learned any other language than the native human language of complaint. And Jesus has enough for them. So here's my question at the end of the story. I have two questions, really. What did Jesus do that any one of his disciples could have done? That's the first question. What did he do that any of them could have done? And then the second question is, what did Jesus do that only Jesus could have done? And that's the easier question, so let's start there, right? You know the answer to this, right? What did he do that only Jesus could have done? He fed 5,000 people, folks. That's only coming from Jesus. But I want you to notice this, and it's important. Jesus does not ask Philip or Andrew or any of the disciples to do what only Jesus could do. Did you catch it? John tells us this. Jesus knew what he was going to do all along. Did you catch that detail? And he asked the question to test the disciples. Now what does that mean to test the disciples? Here's what it means. It's meaning he's asking the disciples to be exactly what disciples are, which is learners. How many of you are students who have finals coming up this week? Raise your hand. Right? You're going to be tested. You're supposed to be tested. You're there to learn. He asks them to learn from him. Let's step this through together, he says to Philip. Andrew over here, so do the rest of the twelve. How is this going to work? Where is the source for the resources we need? And this is lesson number one. Learn in the face of all those people that Jesus, the source of eternal life, the source of unlimited grace, the source of salvation, will not ask you to do what only Jesus can do. He just wants you to know where to look. He didn't ask the disciples to feed the crowd. He expected them to learn. He expected them to participate. He expected them to take part in what he was about to do. This is a lesson learned from Jesus' training of Philip and Andrew. You've named the problem. You know the limits. Now get out in the field and do what you can. I'm teaching you to bring what you have and participate. Give me those limited resources. Tell them to take a seat. Set to work in what I've said I will do. Because the source of all grace, the source of all life, the source of eternal life has taken the field. The source of eternal life is about to turn the wilderness into a place of abundance. And this is good news. This is the grace in which we stand. We are not doomed to wander around in the land of limited resources. You don't have to be stuck there. That's the answer to the second question. What did Jesus do that only Jesus can do? He overcame the laws of the land of unlimited, of limited resources. Eternal life has stepped in and regenerated those barley loaves and those fish. Only Jesus is the source of that. Only Jesus can give unlimited grace. So do not fixate on the limited resources at hand. We fixate, we turn to, we, 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 we cling to the source of eternal life. So what about my first question? How do we get there? What did Jesus do that the disciples can do with him? Do you remember? What do you think? I kind of hear it. He gave thanks. thanks. Many of you said, he gave thanks. The disciples learned a new language from Jesus that day. Gratitude. That's what interrupted the cycle. Did you catch it? Mm -hmm. Gratitude is the language of unlimited grace. Complaining remains fixated on the insufficiency of the resources. Complaining remains fixated on the overwhelming nature of the task. And complaining is its own creed. I say this to you as well as myself. We do no one any good when we complain. We do no one any favors. Because complaining is its own statement of belief. When we join into complaining, here's what we say to our hearts and to other people's hearing. We say, this is all there is. This land of limited resources that you live in, it's all there is. What you see, that's all there is. There is no one and nothing greater than the limits of this situation that we find ourselves in. Your complaints testify that the boundaries of the land of limited resources are firmly in place. That no one, there is no one to look to. There is no God at work. There is no grace to be seen. Complaints fixate on the insufficiency of the resources at hand and say there never has been and never will be a man who took on flesh and rose from the dead. It doesn't happen. So I exhort you today, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus, with the same conviction that God convicted me of this week, one of the most effective ways to share your faith is to stop your complaining. It does you no good. It contributes nothing of life or grace in your life or the lives of others. Jesus came to teach you and I a new language. Jesus came to teach you and I the language of gratitude, and gratitude fixates on the sufficiency of the source of eternal life. Jesus is a source of life. Jesus will do what no one else can do. Jesus will give what no one else is able to give. Jesus can save what no one else can save. So gratitude takes the exact same head count. Gratitude takes in the exact same resources. And then gratitude says, thank you. Mm-hmm. Gratitude joins in Jesus' thank you. And then says, how do we work the solution? How do we work this salvation? This week, when you feel yourself wanting to complain, when everyone around you starts to kick in at work, at school, in your family, it's off to the races, just stop. Walk away if you have to. Start praying. Ask, what is there to be thankful for? Ask what resources there are at hand that give thanks, get to work in God's field. Parents with your kids, when they're overwhelmed, when they're complaining... Have them describe the problem. Have them identify the resources at hand. And then stop with them. Give thanks with them. What do we have on hand? What can we do towards the solution of this problem? What can't we do that we trust to God? It's true in our work. It's true in our lives. It's true in our neighborhoods. It's true in our schools. Work God's salvation. There are two of our friends here in um, UPRES who have lived this way for years. This has been their pattern. They are people who know gratitude. They are people who know what it is to completely depend on the source of eternal life and live into that life, not not dwell in the land of limited resources. In the last number of months, they have faced a, a challenge where this has really come home. Kelly and Marla Malone, who many of us know, um, their family received a, a diagnosis of a brain tumor for Kelly with realism. They've taken in the realities of the challenge. They've taken in the limitations of the resources. And they've joined Jesus in saying thank you. And are participating in the solution and salvation in their everyday lives. I'll let them tell their own story in this video.
1: work at UPC with the Ministry of Side-by-Side.
2: I'm Kelly Malone. I work at Children's Hospital.
1: Kelly was diagnosed with brain cancer this fall, and that's, uh, as you can imagine, brought about a lot of changes in our life.
2: We went from being highly active in a number of things. Now I'm limited in a number of ways of mobility and ability to do things that I didn't have before.
1: Being given a difficult diagnosis uh, creates an opportunity to think about what do you want to do with the time that you have left? What do we do with these days? It brings into sharp focus what we all live with all the time. As, as we have been laying down so many of our past Pleasures, pursuits, responsibilities, affiliations. It's made some space for some new things.
2: We've realized that we do need support, and that's come at us in a big way. It's something we're so grateful for. Part of it is just acknowledging that it's there, and it's been offered up. It's not something we can pay back. It's one way, Grace
1: gratitude has it's looked really different in this time of receiving we receive something pretty much every day from somebody and there have been times when that's been wearing it it wears down my pride it wears down my sense of who I am that I am a thank you night thank you note writer I am a responder I am a uh, I'm a provider someone who can bless people, many of those responses are are no longer part of our lives, part of our, our toolbox. Those tools are just sitting there right now. Jesus is not only the one who gives to us, but he's also a receiver with us. In Matthew 25, when Jesus describes to the sheep that what you did for the least of them, you did for me, he is showing us that he also identifies in being a receiver. We have nothing to offer people. All we can do is say thank you. Maybe not even to their face. Maybe we just say thank you when we pray. And they never hear it. We, we, meet, we meet Jesus in that. Can give us peace that that's enough he knows what to do with that he knows what to do with that thank you
2: it's not within the reciprocity that you normally think you would have from a social environment because you just can't you can't match it up
1: and that's where we meet grace which is where we should all be it's a good place to be history that says it doesn't have to make sense. There's relief in setting aside the need to find an upside for everything to make, uh, to work out okay in the end. It doesn't have to be like that. And that we have people who are courageous with us, who in, in whatever small way they step toward us with that That showed up the other day Or a baked item every Saturday morning. Baked item every Saturday. When that they are with us in in stepping into the mystery of not needing to know why or how this makes sense. They they know that they're not curing cancer or. Paying a medical bill or any of those things—that's that, not their job. They're—they're they're taking a risk, and in, uh, when people take risks, beautiful things happen.
2: This come from so many different corners.
0: This is family. Even if you don't personally know Marlon Kelly, this is who we are. We're family. It couldn't have made any sense to step out and seat people when you had nothing to feed them. But this is what we do. We step into the mystery of the truth that eternal life stepped into the world, and it's not leaving. And the people who bring the plate of scones, they know they're not curing cancer. The ones who bring the New York Times, they know they're not paying off medical bills. But they're participating in this mysterious, overwhelming grace of God that floods the fields. And we say thank you. As we prepare to come to the communion table, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Forgive us for believing the lie that because we are helpless, there is no help. We give you thanks that you are Lord of the land of limited resources. We give you thanks that you will not lose anything or anyone that the Father has given to you. We give you thanks that all who see the Son and believe in him will have eternal life and Jesus will raise them up on the last day. We give you thanks that you, Jesus, are the source of unlimited grace. And so, in this table today, we receive your one-way grace, the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We taste and see the good news for all of us living fully and abundantly in the land of limited resources, that your unlimited grace is ours. We give thanks together, and we pray for the grace to participate in the certainty that God's immeasurable grace has rescued us from the land of limited resources. And all God's people said, Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upcorg audio, email audio at upc.org, or call two zero six five two four seven three zero one, extension one one seven.